Thank you for listening to Elemental Collision. My name is Dave Graham. Today we have an awesome guest, Christopher Rocchio, the author of the Sun Eater series. And we're going to be talking about community and a hero's narrative. Let's join the conversation. All right, everyone, I, I am here with, uh, you know, it's, it, they always warn you not to meet your heroes, but you know, when it comes down to it, I, I always like to meet the, uh, the people that influence my life in, in great kind of ways. So one of my favorite writers in the halls of Brandon Sanderson and Robert Jordan, yes, you are an august company as the case may be. Yeah, geez, wow. <laughs> I was just explaining this the other night to somebody, I go, listen, you got to talk to this guy, Christopher Rocchio, uh, or read his stuff, because pretty much this is the science fiction fan slash fantasy whatever category you want to lump it into this is the books that i go to right now these are you know i read a lot of steven erickson you know try to make through the uh, the malazan empire <laughs> series like yeah. try to make it through at least once and then go back and reread each one about five times so you might actually get the world building at some point <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i but do i tried yeah. Oh, it's the tomes. I forget who referred it to me. I think a customer at one point said, you got to read this. Anyway, Christopher Rocchio, it is incredible to have you here. The series that you are writing, series, not a trilogy. We will, I'm sure, discuss that. <laughs> no angry emails at me, please. It is a series, which I've read so far everything. Um, writer of the Sun Eater series and uh, just fantastic all-around guy. I enjoy you on Twitter. I enjoy reading your book. So. Thank you for deigning to come on to the show today. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. That's awesome. So I start this out with everybody, um, you know, the academic brain of mine, and we'll talk about writing processes later because that's part of the academic brain that I have to have now. Tell me about what community means to you, right? That's oh. little, we'll start there. Yeah, sure. So I'll, I guess, do a real like sort of dictionary style definition. Um, a community to me is a, a group of people, uh, maybe related, maybe not related, you know, uh, genetically, but a, a group of people that shares a common uh, ethos or pathos, logos or, uh, or ethnos, right? I, I'm a classics guy, so I've pardon my Greek. Um, and, you know, maybe all four of those, maybe two or three. So they might be bound together by, you know, a common philosophy or a common tradition, uh, common emotional experiences or, uh, uh, you know, uh, morality, that sort of thing. Or they might be, you know, bound together, you know, genetically, be they a family unit or a kin group, you know, something like that. And maybe all of the above. Uh, so, you know, some subset there. I like dictionary, dictionary definitions, sociological def definitions, you name it. I mean, I'm certainly reading a lot about them. Now, you're in an interesting community. Now, again, I mentioned a few authors, <laughs> but, you know, writers in general, and if we just extrapolate and go through this, you, you all take the brunt of a lot of people's ire. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> so, like, tell me about your experience as a writer. I mean, let, let's even back up further. What got you into writing to begin? Uh, well, it, I don't even really remember where it started that clearly uh, because I've been writing in some form since maybe kindergarten or first grade. Um, I remember playing a lot of make-believe with my friends at recess, right? They were playing Dragon Ball Z. I was not allowed to watch it. Uh, so I asked them if I could be Batman. 
And they thought about it, as kids do, deliberately for several weeks and then concluded in council that, yes, I, I could be Batman. And so while they grew up and developed social skills, uh, I uh, stayed inside at recess and kept writing down because I would write down what we'd done that week, you know, you know, because like, we had one friend who was always the villain and we defeated David pretty regularly on Fridays. Um, and that he would come back as, you know, the next villain on Monday. Um, it was very systematized for a kid's game, which was saying something. But uh, uh, I would keep writing these things down. And eventually, while I started out as a Batman, I, I began to extrapolate the character I was playing as, as I, uh, I was allowed to watch Star Wars. Uh, and I think Star Wars probably had something to do with where all of this came from really early on. Because uh, I think I'm the last kid in America, pretty much, who got to watch Star Wars before the prequels. Um, had oh, the yeah. I had the laser discs actually, or my dad did. And so I saw I them got, on beta. So I'm a, I'm pretty old myself, but like uh, you know, I saw them on beta. That that, uh, that, that dates me <laughs> quite dramatically <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the the thing about that was I got to watch the 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 original unedited versions, right? And so while I actually have very little uh, animus towards the prequels, I got to be like the last original Star Wars Star Wars fan. And uh, I think that had something to do with it too, along with this make-believe and, and, and writing all these stories down. And it just sort of, it grew from there. When I was uh, in middle school, I finished my first book. I never published it. It's, I have one manuscript somewhere. It's terrible, um, but I finished it. And so I threw that one in a box and I just kept rewriting the same story and I would change like with the ship of Theseus, right? Uh, I would change pieces and pieces until is it the same boat anymore? I, I don't really know. Uh, and, uh, and that eventually became Empire of Silence, uh, which is, whoops, always do that backwards. Uh, that one there with the first in the series. And I've been, uh, been doing that ever, ever since. So it sort of grew up with me. It's a true labor of love then. I mean, this is, this is iterative design more than anything else. Yeah, it's, it's part labor of love and part labor of not liking math class. Because uh, uh, this was, if you looked at my math notebook, it was, you know, the equations on like one side and then just like random world building notes. Yeah, for um, sure. I no longer have any of those notes. So if I forget something, it game over. <laughs> Well, I think you've done a really good job working the cycle so far. I mean, uh, you know, some of your influences, uh, I think I picked up on this a little bit through there, you know, um, you had mentioned your love of classics, right? Oh, yeah. You know, they kind of, you know, and there seems to be this uh, Roman, if you will, or Palatine style, you know, a governance, you know, kind of architecting the, the world, as, you know, world building, as we always talk about in literature, right? So what are, what are some of those influences that you've drawn from to get to the Empire Silence and, you know, with your latest Demon White? Well, uh, you know, putting Batman and Star Wars, you know, aside, because we've talked about those already, uh, history is, of course, a big one. Uh, as you say, uh, uh, there's a big Roman influence on the, the nature of the world building in the Sun Eater series. When I started it, I thought it was more late Roman Byzantine than it was Roman proper, but then the, the cover came out with the very sort of, uh, you know, first century. Uh, it's kind of a weird, you know, mixture of different uh, Roman elements there, but, uh, but Western Roman uh, art style and everyone sort of was like, oh, it's space Roman. Like, I thought it was space Byzantium, but okay, uh, I'll go with it. Uh, so there's a, there's a huge amount of classical uh, historical you know, world building. This is a, a humanity in the distant future that uh, in its distant past, somewhere between now and their time, uh, survived being nearly wiped out by their own machines. And, and in, in surviving that, they decided to, one, never build AI again, and two, uh, to create a civilization that was very uh, human 
right? So they went back to a lot of the foundational cultures and myths of ancient humanity and, and, and sort of build these things together. So the, the Solon Empire in the Sun Eater books is part Rome, it's part, uh, you know, Byzant uh, part Byzantine Empire as well. But there's some, uh, there's some Mauryan influence uh, in India, there's some uh, Qing influence as well, particularly in, in, as regards the sort of Qing systematized corporate punishment uh, mm. in their in their legal codes the chantry judiciary is very much a, a Qing magisterial court you know you you are going to get this uh this many lashes and these parts cut off because you have done these things um although the byzantines did that sort of stuff too i'm doing a lot of reading about uh central asian empires now because i realized i had a big central asian hole in my education uh so i got a lot of a lot of stuff there but uh the sort of uh, canon, which is, I know, a dirty word of uh, of Western literature and of science fiction, too, is a big influence. I'm a huge Tolkien fan. Mm. Uh, Frank Herbert was a huge influence on me, although mostly um, I argue with him, I think. I, I borrow some world building from Dune, but then I, I sort of punch back at a lot of his philosophical assertions because I, I like Dune a lot, but he's so down on the idea of heroes uh, that I find it uh, almost hard to, hard to deal with sometimes. Oh, um, you mentioned Dune, so can we segue into what's coming? With oh the, yeah, with the with the with the new Dune. With the I mean, yeah. What are, do you think? There's going to be a fundamental alteration, or is it going to stay true to Herbert's I, original vision? With that, I, I it looks like it's staying pretty true to the vision, and I think Denis Villeneuve is probably the best director we have working right now. Maybe him or Nolan. It's very close. Mm. I'm a big film guy too. I um, but. I'm a little concerned because I watched uh, all, you know, 20 minutes that Stephen Colbert lead in, and they're talking about how this is a, a book about how young people need to, you know, stand up and, and take action and change the world. And, and Dune is the exact opposite of that. Um, Paul is a young person who changes the world with his, you know, superhuman abilities, but he causes 60 billion people to die. And I, I'm, you know, a little concerned that it that if it's what the actors say it is, right? And it usually isn't because actors um, are not experts uh, in anything but acting. Uh, then, I, then I think we're gonna see something a little bit more in the David Lynch vein uh, philosophically where Paul actually was this great hero in the David Lynch version. Um, which I do like, you know, I like heroes. I like Luke Skywalker. Paul was never meant to be a Luke Skywalker. It wasn't John Carter, right? He was this sort of anti-hero. And so I worry about the film not living up to that, but visually it looks awesome. And I'm, yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. I was pretty stoked. I never saw, I never, you know, and admittedly, I never saw Lynch's version of, of the film. So for me coming in, it's like, oh, I, I have what I believe <laughs> to be an idea you know <laughs> and I'll, I'll suspend belief you know for at least the moments of that it's, it's interesting you, you kind of uh, have alluded to it but social commentary right a lot through the arts and a lot through the mediums that we use right we're, we're you're you're able to offer perspective on things in, in a different kind of framing that most people would be used to right so your use of older uh, civilizations and civil sets of government like so the roman and byzantine kind of governments you're, you're kind of juxtaposing that against what we exist in here and now, right? I have to immerse myself in your story to believe it to be true within that bubble. Right, that yeah, that's true. Right. <laughs> Relatively speaking, right? But kind of along that, we do draw from these fiction and nonfiction sources in order to inform our current reality. 
So what uh, do you see kind of any intersectional, I, I keep on bringing that word up, I really got to stop using it, but do you see any kind of uh, intersection as you write between the current contemporary events of this world, let's, coronavirus, you name it, and you know your world building and your governance building and your character development and stuff? I try really hard not to uh, decline on current events like, like in a recognizable like, oh, this is a, a momentary like pressing issue kind of way. Because I think if you do that, then you damage the shelf life of the product that you've made, right? The art that you've made. Um, I think that great art speaks to more eternal problems, right? Just about human suffering and the relationships of people to, you know, uh, governmental systems. Um, I don't want to use, you know, the sort of Howard Zinn, you know, structure of power kind of thing. I don't like Zinn. Um, but uh, you do still have to find a way to relate individuals to communities aha uh -huh. um you nice. know I, I didn't wasn't did not pay him for that folks did not <laughs> but you but you do have to those those things don't change really right yeah. uh, you know there are still people right and we can talk about heroes too right and, and the the influence that individual people have because a lot of modern historians like to say that you know there are no you know great men great women like history revolves around you know these blind processes of market forces and natural pressures and those things certainly exist but you can't look at the biography of someone like alexander the great right and say that oh he didn't do anything himself right like just it's just not true right the world is fundamentally altered including those blind processes uh, you know markets and 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 religious cultures and all these things by the influence of individual actors and one of the things that's so appealing about um, monarchies and empires in fiction is that you do have a very small, uh, concentrated uh, uh, cast of characters that are running all these things. If you read a history of the Punic Wars, right, now the great characters that you've gotten that are, are mostly, you know, the military generals, uh, Scipio Africanus Hannibal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if you try to read it, really closely the consuls have to get recalled every single year and they might not get reelected. so you've got this weird shifting cast of reguluses and marcuses and caiuses and, and luciuses and you can't keep track of that but when you get to the empire the reason that the roman empire i think sort of hangs in our head historically um more than the republican period that predates it oh, small r republican um is uh is because the cast is so much more static. You've got Augustus reigning for 40 years, 39 years, I think. Uh, and you've got these other emperors that loom so large, even if they're only around for, you know, barely four years, like Caligula, right? Or less time if you're, you know, Otho or Galba or one of those guys just gone. Um, but you've got these huge larger than life figures and, and that allows you too to relate um, individual to community, but at the other side. Right, you've got these people who are running the whole the whole show, and you can focus on. That's why we like Game of Thrones, right? It's this huge, you know, kingdom with you know probably hundreds of thousands of people in Westeros, maybe millions, um, but it's run by a few dozen, right? And so those lives are really dynamic and interesting. Now they might be sitting in council meetings, and how George Martin makes council meetings that interesting is kind of a credit to his craft, I think. Um, but. Uh, he certainly has a long enough time to get there. Well, yeah, he, he does. Uh, it, you know, it, <laughs> I'm still waiting. Yeah, well, we all, yeah, we all are. I, I do not envy his position. Yeah. Um, 
No, uh, but uh, it would be nice not to have to work 20 hours a day to get these things turned out in a year, I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> between that and the regular job that I still have. Uh, mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the, the, you get this this interesting sort of uh, uh, relationship between individual, right, and, and, and the sort of systems in the middle and then the people that compose those systems at the bottom, right? And I think that's what's so interesting about... Um, these sort of older styles of governance. Um, no, I, I really appreciate the context. I mean, it's certainly, you know, I am not a student of history. You know, I have, I have my, there's that intersection word that keeps coming to mind. I have my, uh, my moments where I step into it. You know, my classic training would be in church history. You know, I spent some time in a seminary, you know, graduated from a seminary, which is a weird kind of a, a collision into what I do now, but you know, so church history oh, cool. was kind of distilled yeah, yeah. in there. So desert fathers, some of the aesthetics from, from, from back in the time I've raged ad nauseum, I think to a couple of my coworkers about how, you know, Constantine really ruined <laughs> the establishment of religion. Uh, thanks buddy. Appreciate it. You know, and just really, you know, what he did, it was more damaging to the ethos of, you know, or the, the basis, basis of Christianity or real organized religion, you know, in the Western world than anything else. But I'd be interested to hear some of that sometime because I'm not sure I agree as yet. Um, oh, that's good. That's but, cool. Well, we can set this up. We can have drunk church history if you want to. Or That would be really cool. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> All right. Mental note. We're going to write that one down. We'll, we'll get there. And I got a, a wonderful Muslim brother of mine who I, I'd love to have on as well. His, his viewpoints on this stuff is incredible. Um, so all that to be said, you know, look, so we, I tap dance around some of these things and I go into it and it's, it, you know, it provides a lot of context to, to some of the stuff that we see in the world today, you know, some of the cultural uh, aspects of stuff. Um, so I appreciate your, you know, your background on there. You, you touched on heroes and antiheroes. Yeah. And I think this is always the, uh, you know, and this is my, my very instantaneously formed opinion. One of the things I appreciate about Japanese cinema, for example, is that kind of, or Chinese cinema even, is really that, that guttingness that you feel at the end of one of their films where there's no clear victor. Somebody dies. The person that you were rooting for ends up dying anyway. And it leaves you with this emptiness. And maybe they weren't morally solid. <laughs> you know, there's this kind of element of duplicity that they have, or there's, it just leaves you on that edge. You, you feel unsatisfied, but you know it's conclusive. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not going to happen again. Or like you mentioned, you know, part of the Star Wars, well, what are, what is, what are nine movies called now? Just a nah. Train wreck? Um, yeah. Yeah. Tra train wreck will do. <laughs> train wreck um, will do. So talk to me a little bit about hero versus anti-hero. Why, why write one over the other or why build one up? Or can you have both kind of coexist together? I don't really know, right? I, I tend to write, I, I've, got, uh, I've got a setting, right? And then I put characters in that setting and then they have to do something. And as far as the theming goes, I, I, I like to think I'm running this as an experiment, right? Because Hadrian tells us on page one, right? I like to say he's, uh, he's Anakin Skywalker. If Anakin becoming Darth Vader is his only and best option, mm. right? Um, he is a nobleman. He runs away from home, and he gets stuck in the middle of this war between the Solon Empire and these aliens called the Sielsen. The Sielsen are uh, these migratory uh, humanoids. They live in these sort of nomadic uh, starship clusters that fly around, and they'll fall on the planet. They are carnivorous, so when they run out of one another to eat, um, they, uh, they will go and sack a planet um, – and there's some, you know, Roman history there with, you know, I'm not, not, not that the Huns are cannibals, right? Uh, they weren't, but uh, in terms of their relationship they had to Roman cities, right? Uh, these 
Sailson will raid a planet for uh, for livestock, basically, um, and then they'll you know run out again and again. So Hadrian's fighting these guys. He tells us on page one that he ended that war and that he did that by wiping out the Sealson, um, which is very tricky to do when they're that nomadic and migratory. I tell you what. Um, so figuring that one out has been a trick. Um, <laughs> and I uh, I, I did uh, I did some damage to myself by nailing that proposition to the table on page one. Um, <laughs> And so it's been part of the trouble with outlining these because I'm a huge outliner. I think the outline for book four is like 30,000 words, so like half of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Because um, wow. Harry Potter is standard units of measure, right? Um, <laughs> I, 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 it's trying to untangle this mess, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if when the chips are down, we're going to have a Greek tragedy, right? Where we've had the turn and then we've got some catharsis or if we've got the Japanese one where instead of a turn, they talk about a break um, in their dramatic structure and everything after that, looks it's not the same story anymore. Uh, folks who've read Berserk, you'll know where the break is in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very obvious. Uh, and you see this in a lot of Japanese uh, storytelling. There's like a pivotal moment where like even the genre changes and these characters are thrust into a completely different world, um, like you're talking about. And I don't know if at the end of the Sun Eater we're going to have a Greek tragedy or a Japanese tragedy or if we're going to have a, a hero's narrative. I don't know if Hadrian's actions are going to feel justified to the audience. And I don't want to know because I don't want to write an essay. Um, I, I think that one of the virtues of drama, right? We say that a picture is worth a thousand words, but uh, stories are worth more than the words that are on the page because people come away with so many different interpretations. And now some of those interpretations are stupid uh, and some of those interpretations uh, do not deserve being dignified in academic journals, um, even though they are. Uh, but uh, they are still informative in a certain way, right? I think that if uh, an author has a, uh, a plan and everyone who reads his book comes away with something other than his intention, then the book failed. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't persuasive. Um, I think on the other hand, I think the safe way out of this, right? So that I don't have a dramatic failure um, in, in, the, uh, in the way that T.S. Eliot meant a dramatic failure uh, is to not have a plan, um, except in terms of plot and character. And I want to see what everyone's takeaway at the end of this is going to be. Cause I, I hope that what I'm doing is rebuilding uh, a hero, right? Because what, what Frank Herbert did with Paul Atreides, right, is he, he looked at heroes like John Carter, because Paul and John Carter are actually very similar, mm-hmm. um, even though they're completely different stories. They're both outsiders who come to this strange other world and who have these strange abilities uh, in no small part because of their outsideness, right? And they end up becoming kings and ruling, uh, and ruling these strange you know, other people, right? Uh, Paul can see the future. Uh, John Carter can jump really high and, and, you know, and punch things. He's basically Superman. Um, but in John Carter, we don't have, Burroughs is never critical of, of, of Carter's uh, heroic nature or his kinship, right? Herbert is nothing but after book one, right? He plays this trick on you where the only like real hints uh, in the first Dune book that Paul is kind of the bad guy uh, are the epigraphs that start these chapters where Princess Irulan is telling us, oh, this is actually like this, you know, huge conqueror who committed all of these, you know, uh, 
what we would call atrocities trying to build his empire. We're never shown that really, you know, because he skips Paul's wars of conquest and goes right to the end of his rule in book two. And people reading that are like, well, what the hell? I liked him, <laughs> right? Like everything we've seen Paul do is justified. He, he gets revenge on the Harkonnens, right? For killing his family, gets revenge on the emperor for his complicity in that, right? And he, he tries to build a new world and he lifts up all the people that he brought with him who helped him uh, in the process. Now that lifting the Fremen up to galactic prominence ends up destroying their culture, right? It destroys the environment of their homeworld, but the environment of their homeworld is a terrible desert, and he destroys their environment by making it a garden. Um, and so it's not obvious that Paul's destruction to the reader, right, based on what we've got on screen, is destructive. But Herbert keeps asserting that it is, and, and as the series goes on, it becomes a little bit more clear that, you know, the point that he's making. But I don't like uh, even though I, I hear his criticism that heroes are dangerous, right? I think that we still need to believe in them. And so what I wanted to do with Hadrian is give us a hero who does dangerous and destructive things um, and, and commits unspeakable things, but maybe is still necessary. And so my my uh, question with the whole series is, is, is he going to be a hero at the end? Or will he be an anti-hero or a villain even outright? Mm -hmm. And I don't really know. I'm trying to build a case for that. And I'm hoping, I think the most interesting thing would be we get to the end and people don't have a consensus. Mm -hmm. um, because then they have something to talk about, which means I have a community. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you um, do already. Oh, <laughs> I kind of watch, I watch those things go, man. It, it's, it's, it's been incredible to watch. So you're almost Thanks. setting up a Machiavellian kind of proposition here. Like, you know, the person, you know, Hadrian is espousing a kind of an ends justifying the means. I mean, that if I may, yeah. in Demon and White, it is espoused rather large. The ends do have to justify the means because there is no way to get around certain impediments. And I'm not going to say any spoilers for people sure. who haven't read it. You know, you are trying to get to this natural end. You are having to achieve this goal of saving a planet. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in, in some of your words, you know, you're going to end up having to save a people by destroying things that are sacred to them or, or something that they've come to depend on. Right. So yeah. I like the Machiavellian kind of justification, you know, juxtaposition in there because it's, it's almost absent of a certain type of morality and it's asking us to assume to, a to bring of, yours in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's fascinating to me. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back to it. It's like, huh. I like the way that this is set up because <laughs> you're right. I don't know at this point if I like the guy or if I want to hate, hate him, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I want you to decide that, right? Cause while the characters definitely have their own positions, I, I hope that in the characters that I've represented a whole bunch of different ones. Um, and that way I hope that people, cause I want as many readers as possible, right? Any, sure. any author, who is trying to have a career wants as many readers as possible, right? Um, and I don't want to turn readers away who have radically different worldviews than I do. I want them to enjoy the story. Um, so I hope that I'm giving people, um, I hope I'm giving every, you know, everyone a voice in the narrative, even though it's all Hadrian's narrative. I mean, Hadrian's so self-critical and so introspective too that he kind of absents himself in a lot of ways, even when he gives you these, uh, you know, his, his thoughts on, on issues. He's still you know, trying to give the people who are important to him, people he doesn't agree with, but who matter to him personally, because he is pretty fiercely loyal to his people, even when he does not like a lot about them. Um, yeah. And, sure. <laughs> and I totally get that because I, I, I have, because you get these childhood friends, right, who become very different as you, uh, as you grow up, but they're still your friend, right? 
And, you know, we all have that friend, right? We're like, you know, well, Steve's kind of a dick, but, you know, he's our dick, you know, you know, (laughs) you know, and and so Hadrian has that sort of relationship with a lot of these characters. And so some of those break down and I mean, that's life, right? But I, I want my characters to sort of go at each other, right, ideologically. And I don't want to preach to the readers because I because they know who they are and most people are not really persuaded by arguments um i think people are persuaded by events um and um you know if something changes dramatically in their life they might you know change you know if they're say like robbed at gunpoint they may then go and start taking self-defense classes they might buy a gun themselves right (laughs) and they might have been against those things beforehand right Or, or vice versa right they could have the opposite reaction um, but I don't think that debate is actually, you know, uh, I, I don't know how persuasive it really is, especially these days. Uh, but I think that events can be, uh, and I think that maybe fake events can be too. And I hope that this is, uh, you know, a mirror, you know, narratively speaking, that people can find some of themselves in, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, it does. I mean, and even new readings of the book, right, as you come back to it, you know, I said it, you know, I read through all three that have been released so far um anxiously waiting book four get on that while you're at it <laughs> I, I, it's half done it's half done well hey oh. kudos to you for getting that you know, getting that out i mean writing I, I t- process is tell you what it's actually behind um i've had the i i really i wanted to be about done by now uh so it's not where i wanted it I, when i finished when i when book one came out book two was done uh, and i've been sliding back with each one a little bit um and so I'm maybe by the end of the series, there might be a couple months delay. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's life. It's, it's, you know, we, this year has been topsy turvy for a lot of people and not the least of which is, you know, shifting from a, a work life balance to a life life balance. You know, <laughs> kind of all inclusive of everything, you know, it's, well said. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you, I've worked from home for a, a decade, you know, and I, even as I've come, through this year, I've kind of realized, hey, wait a second, you know, this is still not the same. <laughs> it's, yeah, it still it, feels different. <laughs> I thought that being locked at home, you know, because I've been able to go back to the office now for a couple months. I live down in North Carolina and it's it's not that bad down here. Um, you know, we have to wear masks, of course, yep, you know, yep. but uh, but if you go to the office, fine. There are only like four of us in there and it's a few thousand square feet. So, you know, whatever. Um, but before that, I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to get a lot of writing done because, uh, you know, I'll be at home and that'll be nice. I won't have to commute or anything. And no, did not happen. Um, but it's still, you know, it's still moving on. I, I, I don't know um, how some writers uh, can go a long time without turning something out. Because if you write a thousand words a day, you know, you should have you get a hundred thousand word novel in a year, you know, in a third of a year it's a mystery to me. Um, I'm looking at having to write an 85,000 plus word thesis, you know, for my doctorate. And I sit there and I go, Oh God. Well, that I, stuff's different, right? That's it is. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's denser. I don't have citations. In fact, uh, citations yep. are discouraged. Um, sure. I, I deliberately will ruin quotes. Um, <laughs> if I think it'll be convenient, there's a couple, I can't remember an example right now, but there are a couple uh, ancient Roman quotes that have been badly spoonerized uh, after nice. 20,000 years and, um, sure. and a couple of readers like, Hey, that's not right. And I'm like, good. You noticed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was, no such it luck was... on my side. I was just going, Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I just assumed the world's being presented to me in the way that I should understand it to be. Um, yeah, no, the density thing, you know, it's, uh, it's, it was, 
laughing as I was talking to, you know, talking to somebody about doing this podcast today. I'm like, I'm going to really ask the question, you know, the difference between writing, a, you know, a novel and the academic side. And you, you kind of espouse it. It's, it's, it's not that one is vastly more important than the other. It's just the density, you know, like, yeah, not having the site stuff, by the way. I mean, I have Mendeley on my desktop, which everything is tossed in there. Hey, this is a great link. Toss it in there. You know, <laughs> cite it. You know, make sure it's done in the appropriate format. And you sit there banging your head against the wall at some point going, well, can I use just those four words? <laughs> that four word get the meaning that I want to and can I cite it? <laughs> and by the way, that adds, you know, and adds another citation in the back in, in, in the bibliography for my thing. You know, like it, it works out. But Yeah, I never could. I never could stand that sort of thing. By my last semester in college, I uh, had one of those professors who would like pre-grade your essays, right? Be like, well, we want to like sit down in the office and like go over it because, you know, whatever. And, <laughs> and we'll tell you what you're going to get, right? And how you can improve it, which I think is silly. I should never do that because yeah. uh, she told me this is a 90 because you didn't cite anything and if you want 100 you got to go and put back uh you know go put in some citation like but it's a 90 yeah um <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm out of here in, i'm out of here in two weeks um so yeah You're no i'm not it in at that point yeah big time i i had uh, i had uh, empire to revise i had bigger fish to fry yeah, absolutely um so because i just sold it i sold uh i got or rather i just gotten an agent the month before i graduated Oh, nice. I sold it the month after. So I got really, really lucky. It's usually not that smooth. Oh, no. Oh, it's, it's incredible what you've, you've done. And I know we're up against time here. So I'm listen, okay. But, I, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on today. This is like, I've been telling everybody, you know, this random guy that approaches you on the internet is asking you for things, you know, sometimes it's good stuff. <laughs> so like, it's <laughs> no, man, no. At this point, you know, Zoom meetings are handshakes. I think the world is yeah. very different about this now. Exactly. Well, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the insights. We definitely would love to do, I'll call it drunk church history because that's, that always, it's controversial enough. Wait, drunk and church in the same sense? Yeah, man, it happens. Um, well, I'm Catholic, so, uh, you know. I'm Protestant, so, I mean, right there, we got a lot to talk about. Ah, that explains <laughs> the Constantine thing. I gotcha. All right. Well, we can talk about the Great Schism. We can talk about the 95 Theses, the development of the Lutheran Church over and above the, uh, yeah, all that kind of fun stuff. So, <laughs> it's, Yeah, it's, another time. That'll be fun. That would be fun. Well, I like this. All right. I'll plot it in. We'll figure out how to do that. But appreciate your time today. Encourage everybody to go out and read the Sun Eater series. Not the trilogy but the series and book four is coming at some point in 2021, which is great. I will anxiously await it, but where can they go? Where's the best place for them to go and buy your books? Oh, uh, well, they're available pretty much, you know, anywhere books are sold, Amazon works, Barnes and Noble. But if you want to get them signed, uh, you can check out quailridgebooks.com. I uh, my local bookstore here in Raleigh and uh, I can go hop across town and sign those for you. That's so, awesome. You might have to wait a day or two for me to get across town, but if you don't mind, I can uh, I can go get those signed for you. And you can support a local business, which is always a good thing. So. Absolutely. So go and get the trilogy. <laughs> go get the tr See, I just did it. I just Aha! did it. Go and, ah, damn it. Go and get the series. Support your local bookstore wherever possible, uh, for sure. But thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your insights. We will do drunk church history at some point, I promise. Yeah, that'd be great have a great conversation around that and uh we'll take from there thank you thank you so much yeah thanks man. for your patience with zoom crashes ah uh, you know it happens <laughs> I, i've hosted like a dozen of these things for the publisher i work for so you know nothing it was it was great let's uh yeah let's do that church thing sometime <laughs> all right sounds good man thank you thank you 
Thanks for listening to Elemental Collision. If you like what you heard here and you'd like to hear more, please go to ElementalCollision.com. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please visit us at Patreon.com slash Elemental Collision. Talk to you next time.